0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by the Live Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day science-based and compassion-led journey where you learn to develop a healthier relationship with alcohol without relying on willpower. Why? Because the truth is that willpower runs out. Instead, you learn how to focus on what you gain, not what you give up, so you can feel good about the decisions you make without shame or guilt. With the 30 days of video training, virtual daily coaching, and a private and supportive community, you get that and so much more. Join us today to get happier, healthier, and to take back your life. Your Live Alcohol Experiment starts on the 1st, so sign up at LiveAlcoholExperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Peggy. Hi, Peggy. How are you? I'm great on this uh, pay it forward day. Oh, yes. So good. So let's start sort of at the beginning in your journey with alcohol. Where, where did it all start for you?
1: Yeah, I was a late bloomer. So around my uh, really didn't uh, alcohol didn't play a huge role in my life. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, socially, of course it did in my 20s when I was um, you know, in my early 20s, but it didn't become an issue for me until I was in my 50s. And I think there was a lot of you know, um, factors. One was um, I'm a social worker and I was in direct practice at that time. And uh, there's a lot of vicarious trauma from experiencing child welfare, you know, uh, child abuse. The system sucks. So that was, you know, um, I think that's even the harder thing. You know you're gonna be exposed to uh child abuse if you become a child welfare social worker. It's kind of a duh, right? Oh, it's a yeah. gift. But the system trauma when when kids disclose that they've been abused and, and they're the ones that have to go live with a stranger, I think it gets in your DNA.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can imagine.
1: Then I became um a kind of a involuntary whistleblower at work and that's a you know that's a long story but just those three things that added up and I'm you know Paul and I are in a, are in a blended family and I think just the pressure of all of that I started to use alcohol more as like getting through those days um, at work so um, you know and which made it even crazier right because I was working with families who were affected by addiction and I was coming home and drinking wine at night so
0: yeah and so when I mean first of all how did you get into the the social work like did did you choose that did you feel led into it or well I
1: had a it that's an interesting question I had a dance studio um uh, a dance uh art and aerobics and in theater a studio for about 10 years in a small northern California town called Calusa, and I loved it. I absolutely loved doing it. We, you know, we put on local uh, theater, uh, local plays with um, the community college and the school district and did a lot of at-risk kid stuff, you know, and uh, it was just a lot of work. Um, As you know, owning your own business can be (laughs) overwhelming. So my kids were getting a little bit older um and they were really getting into sports they were around you know mid you know 10 and up about you know 10 and uh, early teens and so i sold the business and i really didn't know what i wanted to do and we'd done a lot of um community work for for uh department of social services in our town you know through tobacco cessation and you know a bunch of stuff and we put on the nutcracker for the school districts for free and all of that so The director of social services said, you know, do you want to be a social worker? And I really had no idea what I was doing at that time. You know, I just, I had no idea what a social worker did other than, you know, work with, you know, at-risk kids. Um, But it really got into my blood and, um, you know, it wasn't very long before I went back and got my master's degree so that I could really do a better job. And I just kind of blossom from there but yeah it's a it's a great fit and also um it you know it, it definitely takes this toll I think anybody that's a first responder mm-hmm. um, I think we're really high risk for for drinking because it, it is the system it's not it's not the children and families you work with it's it's absolutely the system yeah, so how right.
0: frustrating it is to feel. I mean, I had a, a, I have a really good friend. She's one of my best friends and she worked in this type of work for years and it was very hard on her. I mean, very hard on her. And I think that her, her frustration was how powerless she felt within the system Yeah, to actually affect change. Um, so you were doing this, this work and, and you felt like that was sort of an entry point for you, you mm-hmm. know, were you introduced to it? Did you already kind of feel like, well, wine would help or how did that transpire? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it was very slowly, you know coming home and having a glass of wine then that turned into two. And then when the whistleblower thing happened I, it started to take it out on me physically. Um, I was really just walking in the threshold of the, of the agency. I was, you know, just sick and I would just get through the day And it just built up, you know, from one to two to three. And interestingly enough that, you know, I retired in 2014 and two weeks later, UC Davis called me and asked me to come to work for them and teach for the university, which I'm still doing. And absolutely, I'm in love with the fact that I can sort of make a difference at that level and, um, you know. Teach new social workers the the mistakes that I made and 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 I guess it, it was 2018. I got a, a a service award for out of 1,750 instructors. There was three of us and um, I went home and celebrated with a glass with a, with a bottle and, and and of course they were drinking at the the ceremony. <laughs> the ceremony too, but that's when I kind of knew I was in trouble, you know, that, that my life was very, that my life couldn't have been any better. At that point, I had um, a dream job and, and I still couldn't stop. I didn't stop then, but that's when I knew I was in trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about in your family was, was drinking a big thing? Like, yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know how much, you know, it's interesting. I I lost my parents when, when I was 19. So I I know alcohol played a part in both my parents, um, life. It was, you know, alcohol was part of our, part of our, um, culture in our home. Um, one of the most coveted jobs in my, in my family was to graduate, to be the, um, martini garnish maker, you know, two, oh, wow. two olives and one onion, you know, and, um, so it was, it was part of my life, but it, it's interesting because I have, uh, siblings that are younger and older than I am. Uh oh, well, 10 years difference. I'm like right in the middle of 20 years. And I think my older brothers knew more what was going on and kind of protected me from it. So I think it would have almost been better. If I knew why my mom was a Jekyll and Hyde, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, um, I had enough love in my life. We had a lot of really loving adults around me, which kind of counteracted all that, that stuff that was going on in my house because my parents were pretty violent, but there is always, you know, like, um, I have my mom's best friend, you know, really, Um, kind of took me in and and stayed with me all the way through adulthood so I mean I had that counteraction but I really didn't know until I got really sober to really understand how much uh, alcohol looking back on it after I fixed me to see how much alcohol played you know a role in my parents life
0: yeah that's so interesting so so there you were and what happened next
1: um, at, when I was after uh, UC Davis, the- Yeah. That, yeah, um, well, let's see, that was 2018. So 2019, um, and and there've been several incidents in between. Um, I got, uh, I, I drank too much at my daughter's best friend's wedding who also happened to be uh, marrying our nephew. And, uh, you know, I made a scene and, I passed out at my um, my uh, daughter's mother in law's house on Mother's Day, and then the 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 finale was we went to uh, in uh, we go to Lake Tahoe every year for a family reunion, and I didn't drink during the day because up to that point, you know, my husband was my husband was starting to get upset by it. My daughter was getting upset by it. No one knew at work. I was, you know, I'm sure you've heard that a million times that only (laughs) only the, you know, that that kind of I was I was teaching by day and breaking my family's heart at night. And I didn't drink anything that day because I didn't want to embarrass anyone. I was determined. And uh, but I got home and I drank a couple shots of whiskey. I, I hate whiskey. And it hit me like a brick after eight hours of being in the sun. And my, um, uh, my husband got more than upset. And then um, when my daughter and my daughter, my son-in-law, my daughter has two sets of twins that are um, now they're five and nine. They came out, you know, we rented a cabin in Lake Tahoe and Paul was screaming at me. And um, when they came home, my daughter, my son-in-law and the grandkids, and then I have a younger son who's um, in his 30s. They, you know, Paul was screaming at me, and um, my Brett went after Paul, which you know, and 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 Jason had to pull him off. And and standing there, really in front of my my four grandchildren, looking at seeing that scene, uh, Paul left with no intention of ever coming back. And um, that next morning, Lindsay said, "Mom." If you don't do something about your drinking, you can't have the relationship that, that you want with me and Jason and the kids. And that was it for me. That was really it for me. I went into my bedroom. Um, I knew I was done. I, I, it was almost a relief. I, I couldn't have hated myself anymore. I was totally ashamed, but I walked in and, and I saw, um, uh, Jen Couch's uh, Sobersist 21 Day oh, yeah. Reset on my Facebook oh, page. I made a video that day, and really, um, that was kind of history for me. You know, we're friends now, and and uh, I, I just don't think it was a coincidence at all.
0: Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. So, um, so how was how was the process? What were the sort of things you had to learn, and how was it socially?
1: We did the 21 day reset, and of course, your book was um, was Jen's first recommendation. And uh, I'm a I'm a sciencey person. You know, I I you know I teach, I coach, and I teach social work and uh, family facilitation for UC Davis. And the science, um, you know, again, I know you've heard it a million times, but the science just just made sense. It was exactly what I needed at the right time. And I read that book twice. Um, I took your 100 day challenge right after the 21 day reset. I, I, um, Jen had her one and only um, retreat in Fort Worth, be- you know, pre COVID, and uh, I booked a trip to go on uh, on that that reunion and met a lot of really cool women that that weekend. Um, and I just started writing. I just started writing every day. That. I was about a hundred days in when I went to Fort Worth, and uh, I just started posting on Jen's Facebook page, and I just started writing and writing and writing and writing, and uh, kind of developed a little bit of a following um, because I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty open, pretty open about what happened to me, and I'm lucky that I am, you know, I have it like I said, I have a university that's letting me live my sobriety out loud encouraging me to live my sobriety out loud and uh uh so yeah so i I just never stopped i took stacy danford's um uh brain uh brain boost class um i i just never i just never stopped doing it never stopped going to to classes um
0: that's amazing and then all your writing uh you ended up publishing a book Mm -hmm. yeah yeah tell me about that
1: it's, uh, it's called The Side of Alcohol, and it, um, it really is a culmination of all the journaling that I did from, you know, day 100, and, you know, people said, oh, my God, you, you really ought to write a book, but the book means a lot to me um, in this way. About, I don't know, maybe 30 days in, um, Paul was still out of the house, and I asked him to read your book. Mm. And he read your book and he read um William Porter's book. Amazing. And he he literally changed from because he did a lot of shaming and blaming, just a boatload of shaming. You know, if you love me, you would stop drinking. You know, yeah. he's a financial analyst. He sees things in um really black and white terms, you know, you're weak you know, you, you know, you, you, know, you're mental. I mean, just, he couldn't have said any, any, um, harder words, but after he read your book, he bought the book for his daughters, my stepdaughters as well. And he wanted to make it a go after he read your book. I'm sorry. It's really true. It's not made amazing. up.
0: That's so amazing. Wow. That's really amazing. And, uh, um, how how do you think so so then he I assume moved back in Mm -hmm. how did that go
1: it was it was rough at first you know he he was mad and you know he alternatively you know understandably you know my drinking problem was my family's problem Mm -hmm. um I don't think anybody in my family believed that I was done um and so you know that that took a lot of time for them to kind of figure it out I mean I I, I, I went over to see my daughter almost every day. So she could see me, uh, even if it was five minutes, mm-hmm. if she could see me, you know, we did manicures and we, we just, even if I just sat there for a half an hour, I just wanted her to see because, you know, she had given me a list of rehab places to go. And I knew I was done. Um, he, he alternately, you know, uh, went back and forth, you know, for, for another few weeks. But um, I think, you know, the longer it goes, just like any kind of behavior change, he started to trust me, you know, and, you know, it's still a little rough. I mean, this is, we're almost three years in and, uh, he's super excited that I got to talk to you. Um, but he did, he did write the final chapter on my book.
0: Well, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. What would you, what would you say to someone who is wondering how to rebuild trust? That's a question I get a lot. It's like,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I know I'm done. I know I've changed, but nobody believes me, you know.
1: I think you have to really give the people around you grace. You can't expect them to trust you. And I, and I think that's so built in because, I, you know, I, it's kind of what I do for a living, right? So I have, I have families saying, you know, to us, you know, look, I haven't, I haven't had a drink. I haven't had a drug for 30 days. And, you know, can, can my kids move back home? And it's very similar to that is that um, it's, it's about safety, right? So safety is acts of protection uh, demonstrated over time. And, and trust is that way too, right? That, that I, I really didn't expect anybody to forgive me at, and I, I knew it would take some time. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: I isolated a lot around my husband, not my, not my daughter um because I didn't it was almost like that sort of childhood reaction I didn't know what kind of person he was going to be when I walked in the door my mom was like that too um but I think he's you know I I don't think I know he's very proud of me and I I think it I think it just takes time you have to give the people around you grace you have to
0: yeah that's so good and and how much time? I mean, that's another question I sort of get. Is it just indefinite? Whenever it happens, it may never happen. You kind of have to let go of the outcome or how do you think about that?
1: Well, I'm sure you've seen it too, but your relationship completely changes when, mm-hmm. when you stop drinking. I mean, one of my favorite, uh, podcasts from you is the one you did with your husband. And I had Paul watch that one too. You know, that was, uh, you know, a few years ago and, um, you know, we, like any marriage, it doesn't matter if it's if it's if it's alcohol or whatever happens, you're always kind of figuring falling a little bit out of love and falling back in love again. And I think I think it that's the work it takes, no matter what, what is getting in between you, you know, we still have a a pretty strained. Re- I still have a pretty strained relationship with his daughters. And it's interesting because I didn't I didn't drink and I didn't have a drinking problem till all the adults were you know, uh, your age and out of the house. So, um, you know, we're still working on that. You know, I still get a little, a little resentful there. But, um, you know, I think journaling is is really super important, or some kind of. Um, but you have to, again, you have to do the work. You have to figure out, you know, what what were all those things, and. You know, for me, it was one of those. I'm okay, nothing to see here. You know, I went through a lot as a kid. Um, you know, I grew up in a violent home. I lost my parents at 19. I lost a nine month old child at 19. And mm-hmm. so I was really in that, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but I never really grieved over all, all that stuff. You know, yeah. I had, I had it away. You know, my family telling me, you know, you're 18. You, you can have more kids. You're fine. In fact, it's almost a blessing that, that this happened because now you can start your life over. You know, it was, and so I got this huge message that it wasn't okay to be sad over things. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the other thing is I have a psychologist I team with, and she is, she's flipping amazing. She's so good, Annie. And I, I did lie to her for the first two years that I went to her. But when I, when I finally came clean, she's been one of my biggest supporters and also really helped me along in my marriage and with my kids on, on, you know, and on giving them grace or the times that, um, what she did is she, I, I would go to her and say, well, I had all these things happen to me, but look what I have now. I have I have beautiful grandkids. We have two homes. I have a great career. And you say, "Whoa, wait a minute. You still need to go through those things. And I'm sure not going through all that grieving process and then, you know, being exposed in a profession where there's so much abuse, you know, um, I don't know if I answered your question correctly.
0: No, there's no wrong answers. There's no wrong answers, Peggy. That's a great, great answer. Um, I had a follow-up question, which was, you know, navigating, what about with your, so we've talked a little bit about your part, like about Paul and his, his responses, but what about your children? How, how did that process go?
1: Lindsay, um, you know, she, and again, you have, you have two kids, two kids, three, that's right. Um, you know how different you know how different they are, yeah. and it is so incredible that you know Lindsay. Lindsay's uh, forty-one, and um, she shows her affection in completely different ways. So, if um, she is, I'm doing a, a uh, an event next month. It's called Silver in the City, and she's coming. Um, so uh, that's beautiful, and she she shows her affection and her support for me. Through like emojis or I'm proud of you, um, but by her actions and how much you know she leaves the kids with me, and so she's not verbal about it. My my youngest is very verbal. He talks about it all the time. Um, he he was a huge support um, in the beginning. Um, he he just really kind of watched over me. You know that that week after um, everything exploded and. Uh, And, you know, I talk to him almost every day. And then I have an older son who, who's a little, um, he's pretty quiet about it too. But um, he wrote a poem or actually a rap song in my book about my addiction. Um, But I remember when we were, we had our, we had to put our first dog down, you know, and uh, Lindsay was like, mom, I haven't missed school. I haven't missed school since I started school. I have to go to school. I can't, I can't. I can't deal with the dog, you know, and, and, uh, Brett was like, see you later, girl. I'll, you know, I'll see it. I'll see you next time. And then Matt and I went down to the river and cried, You know, we took, we took her down and had her put down and then, and then we had her, um, and then we just cried by the river for eight hours. Right. And they all handle it differently. But the fact that Lindsay is coming to an event for me next month, is you know really says it all, right?
0: Well, that's amazing. It says it all. And did it take a while to?
1: Well, not really. Not not really. Um, I'd say. I don't know. Maybe. You know, that's a really hard question mm-hmm. because I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I was around them. They lived close by. I made sure that we were, you know, together. Um, and she's not all that verbal. So, um, I don't know. I don't
0: know. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's all right. Don't worry. Um, what about sort of your, your social life and navigating friendships? How has that been?
1: Oh, that's a, you know, I've lost a few friends, you know, um, what I've really learned about myself is I can get up in front of, you know, I'm doing a, uh, a conference in June. Um, I get to present my book at, at the UC Davis conference, but it's not about, this isn't about me. What it's about is I finally get to, I get to talk to social workers about the issues of of the warning signs of, of, of drinking, right? And not just drinking. It could be food. It could be prescription drugs. It could be Amazoning. It could be relationship problems, but this is the first time that I think I've been able to really talk about it. Um, and I think that's, um, that's amazing. And then can you remind me what
0: your question is again? Sorry, S- Social life. Like, Oh and- yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I, what I found, that's what I was going to say is I found out I'm so much more of an introvert than I, than I was, I drank at social settings, you know, I would pre-drink at social settings. And so I'm very selective about what I go to now. Um, I, I, I like smaller settings. I like doing stuff with the kids. I love doing some, you know, just smaller events and I drive my own car. So, um, but I've, I've met so many amazing, I mean, just amazing people in sobriety, just, it's insane. Um, and I, I think it's just because you don't, because of the truth, it's the truth telling, right? That that automatically bonds people together.
0: Yeah, it it really is. I mean, it's yeah. I totally agree with that. That's awesome. So, um, what would you what would you say to someone who, you know, is really stuck and struggling? I mean, how would you help them?
1: It's kind of like social work for me. It's like, what is one thing? That you're going to do tonight to put your head on the pillow sober,
0: mm.
1: you know, and and really talking about the fact that you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again to change it up, you know. Um, I think the biggest thing is to tell the truth, um, and it and I, I definitely the last few years that I was drinking, it was just a machine that lied, um, and I think one of the things that I like about, you know, Laura McCowan is really shutting that third door that a lot of people I noticed with the, the work that I do, um, a lot of people will say, you know, my husband just doesn't believe that my problem's that bad. And my question is to have you really told them your, your, your problem is really that bad. Because mm-hmm. I think when we want to hear that we're okay, we're not as bad as other people. I mean, Annie, I even had best friends that at the very end, I passed out in the garage and they, they said, oh, Peggy, you just, you work so hard and you don't eat when, when you drink, you're fine. And I wasn't fine. I wasn't fine at all.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Even my daughter made excuses until the very end. She kept saying, mom, you just, you, you don't eat when you drink, which is very normal for females to do anyway. But um, but yeah, I I really believe that we have to, you have to join community. You can't do it alone. You have to join something, wh- wh- no matter what that is. Um, you you have to you, you you have to work towards that emotional sobriety. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. That,
1: anytime yeah. you leave a door open is is when you get in trouble.
0: I think. What do you mean by that?
1: Um, that you don't tell the right people what you're doing so that if you flip up, you don't, you're not accountable to someone. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: I mean, I think my, 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 um, experience was a little bit different because I had the, the price was too high for me to pay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I didn't have any issues quitting. I didn't have withdrawals. I didn't have any of that. Um, but I, I, I do say when I see people um, slipping or having a data point, whatever you want to call it, it's it's usually because they've they've left some some door open where where they could um, where where they can justify drinking, right? And or or. Um, I, the, I think the other thing I see is um, spouses that really don't like their, their wives getting sober or their husbands getting sober. You know, you're no fun anymore. You're not yes. as fun anymore. You know, that codependency thing going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, I, I think that happens a lot. That's a, a big question I get of, you know, it's almost like he's trying to sabotage me or she's trying to sabotage me. And I think that there's so much fear and change. And I think we can we can alleviate a lot of that just through open dialogue and conversation, and you know, letting people know that we don't expect them to change, and letting them know that like it doesn't mean that we're going to judge them or think anything's different about them, and you know, just asking them to give it a chance, and then you know, instead of jumping to conclusions of how it might be not fun, et cetera. But it's very common. I'm gonna go back to. Uh, the
1: science the (laughs) science i when anybody says i can't stop i give them your book or you know give you give them the link i give them um william porter's book the link because i almost everyone says it once you understand the science behind it um it's hard to unknow it it's very hard to unknow that very and and the community—you have to join the community. You can't. You you can't do this thing by yourself. You just can't.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's so true. So Peggy, before I ask the last question, is there any other things you want to share?
1: Um. Well, I. You know, um, this morning we were talking um, in a in a meeting about about the. Uh, with Ann uh, Dowsett Johnson, her book, drank around, um, around just the, the craziness, right? That we see, um, I, went to a, I went to a dance recital this summer with um, my, my granddaughters and we walked up to, we walked up to the table and the person checking us in at a child's dance recital had a beer in her hand.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And they were selling beer and wine at the dance recital. Now I didn't see anybody have more than one or one or two glasses of beer or wine, but what what kind of message are we sending our kids when we can't even have a damn dance recital without oh, yeah. alcohol? Um, you know, last year I was in this last uh, last year. Yeah, when school started, um, Target had a had a display that said. Um, Mommy needs school supplies too, with with a you know with a wine display. So I I do think that one of the neatest things about sobriety is how you start to notice that, and um, and notice that that when I'm around my grandkids because my 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 kids still drink, um, they're you know they're pretty for now they're they're um, they're responsible drinkers, um, but I noticed that. The grandkids just really gravitate towards me um, when when there's a big social event because they feel safe with me and I I do think that that's one of the the most prevalent things I feel like I almost feel like I'm lucky this happened to me because I don't I wouldn't have done the work number one
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and I have the platform with school um, with the university to really spread the word so I. I have nothing but gratitude for all the things that have happened to me. And I mean, this is another example of you talking to me. It, it's just it's just where I need to be and where I, you know, where I'm supposed to be right now. So I, I just really appreciate everything you've done for the, love that. the recovery community as well. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. That's so awesome. Well, Peggy, let me ask you the question then that I ask at the end of these things, which is if you are going to go back to yourself, you know, especially the self at the cabin or having some of those really hard times, and you're going to tell yourself about what life is like now, what would you say?
1: Just say it's an honest life, you know, you have a third, at least a third more to your day um, to pursue whatever you want to do. Um, that you don't, you can actually be happy without drinking, that it, you're actually more fun and you have more deep belly laughs and, and you, can, you can make a difference in the world um, sober. I just, it's, it's a gift. It's a, it's a huge gift that this has happened to me and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my, my, um, my life for the world. It's not, all the other stuff happens too. All the obstacles happen too. All the worries happen too, but you just get through them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just it. It really is a beautiful life. So
0: um, I guess that's it. Thanks. I love that. That's so great. And it just struck me as you were saying it how interesting it is that we live in a society where the default, how we're born to be, which is sober, <laughs> is really the um, not the norm. And yeah, it's like. Wow, living life how we were actually born to live it, which is, you know, not having to drink all the time. Mm -hmm. It's actually pretty great. Like, it just sometimes strikes me as just so wow, how did we get here? How did we get to where it's the weird thing to do to not consume the fermented liquid in a glass, right? The weird thing to do to not consume the toxin.
1: I feel like, and I do feel like my mom, I feel like I really, truly, from the bottom of my soul, believe that I've changed the trajectory of my family.
0: Yes, of course. My grandkids
1: asked, hey, grandma, did you bring the AF drinks?
0: <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, you've just shown another way. And I think that's like so many people choose another way if they're just shown it. But when we're never shown another way, it um, it's hard to even Choose, I mean, of course. So it's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Peggy. This has just been an honor. I really liked getting awesome. to know you and hearing your story.
1: Oh, you're an honor. You just made such a difference in my life. And my husband will publicly says that any grace made uh, saved his marriage. Oh, Seriously, he okay. says it. Yeah,
0: wow. that's amazing. Thank you so much. I'll tell him hello for me. I so will. Okay. Bye. Hey, I'm so excited because we are literally just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you don't know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to livealcoholexperiment.com. Here's the thing. This is a 30-day challenge and it's designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You'll know it's that version that's living the most joyful life. That version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or have a good time and that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever again it's just a 30-day challenge it's live every single day it's starting on the first so hurry up join me at livealcoholexperiment.com and as always rate review and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today